Good morning, everyone, from my side. I hope you are well. I hope you had a good breakfast. I hope you felt very welcome. Who's here for the first time? Someone new for the first time? Yeah, yeah. one hand there. Two, no, you're not. <laughs> welcome, especially for those that are here for the first time. Um, I don't know if you noticed at the door, but we want this to be a home that is far away from your home. And I know how difficult it can be to be away from, um, from family and close friends and, and being here in Portugal and uh, culture can be so new. So many things can be new, but um, I hope that at least in a place like this um, has you come to a church, you come to a family, you come to a place where people welcome you, where people want to know you, where people value you. Um, and we together walk the road um, as people that are home, far away from home. I mean, I don't speak for myself, I'm actually Portuguese. <laughs> I was born here, but I had the experience of living abroad and I know how important it is to find a community of people. We, um, Christmas is approaching. We are two weeks away from Christmas and we're just starting uh, a two-part series called Christmas Isn't Cancelled. And we say Christmas isn't cancelled not just because the greatest story um, that, was, um, that happened, uh, the, the most glorious story that uh, you have, have ever happened uh, in, the, uh, in humanity um, happened 2,000 years ago. And not just because it, it happened, but because for 2,000 years their story has been told. Thank you. And people have, are still, after 2,000 years, are still reflecting on what happened uh, 2,000 years ago. And it's not in a year like this year, a completely um, abnormal year, completely different from everything that we plan. Our plans shifted completely. And even when the president of the, of the Republic in Portugal at one stage said, well, we might need to rethink Christmas, at least the being with the family part, it might not happen. That does not cancel the message of Christmas. And we're going to see this morning that the Christmas story is a story full of life-changing plans for the people, for the main characters of that story. It's the year of 2015, and I was about to finish uh, university. I was uh, um, I finished my uh, my thesis. I did my masters, and in that last year, while while I was finishing my uh, finishing my masters, um, uh, God spoke to my heart, and I was getting involved with a few projects, and I just didn't want to deliver my master thesis, finish the course, and jump into the um, um, job into job market. I want to take a time in my life, a gap year, something, to do something completely different. And so, while I was finishing university, I was also applying um, to participate in some, in some different project. And I found a really cool um, uh, Bible school, a mission Bible school in South Africa, a five-month project. Um, a friend of mine had that experience, he told me about, and, and I knew that was what I wanted to do uh, after I finished my university. I just 
do something different, go there, get some experience, live outside uh, of Portugal where I've been living my whole life. But as I, I finished my thesis and I had already applied, um, the, 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 the course was going to start in August 2015. I, gave, I finished my course in July. I had a few weeks to wrap things up and go to South Africa. And I got the news that the team was full. I had applied a few months ago and things seemed that were going to happen in August, but now the team was full and I had to reapply and I could only start in February 2016. And there was a huge, uh, it was a huge blow uh, uh, on my life because what am I going to do now until February? What am I going to do now in the next five or six months? I certainly don't want to start any internship in my um, area of studies because those internships are at least uh, nine, nine months a year, so I cannot start something now. Maybe I'll get a part-time job, something to get me occupied or, or raise some funds um, until February. But I clearly remember thinking, God, um, this timing is so perfect. You don't know what you're doing, God. I just finished now in July, August, I step and I go and everything just works out well. Why now? What am I going to do until February? In that, in that, in that uh, summer, I went to a conference and the, the, the organization I was joining was called OEM, Operation Mobilization. So some of you might have heard they are spread worldwide. They have these different ministries. So the Bible school I was going there in South Africa was OM Bible School. And I went to a small conference in August to make something with my time. I went there as a, as a volunteer and we were on the cleaning team. So I was having this conversation while we were cleaning toilets and there was a guy with me and I was telling exactly him my story. Ah, I just finished university, I study engineer, but now I cannot uh, apply for anything. Maybe I'll just do something in, until February. And he told me, hey, I've, I volunteer in a ship that they have, a huge ship with 400 volunteers, about 50 different nationalities, and the ship goes around the world and stops, in, uh, especially uh, um, do, does work in undeveloped countries, and why don't you apply and go to the ship for those three, four months or whatever time you want until you get to February? Why don't you apply there? You have the knowledge, apply for the engine team there. I thought, wow. That might be a good possibility. So on that conference, the people from the, 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 the human resources, they were there. And I spoke with them. I told them, hey, look, I heard that, that there is a ship. There is a different, uh, interesting ministry. Can I apply? Can I go as, as soon as I can? And in that conference, they applied uh, for me. And in November, I was there. I, I, I flew to Sri Lanka, where the ship was birthed. We were there for a few weeks. Then we crossed the Indian Ocean. We went to Madagascar, Seychelles, Mauritius, Tanzania. And then in February, I could fly to South Africa and start the team. That was one of the most significant experiences that I had in my life. It changed my worldview. It changed the way I would see the world around me, the needs around me. And even before I arrived to South Africa, I knew that I could not return back to Portugal and do something and, be, and not do something when I see so much need around me. There in South Africa, in that, in that same team, there was the team that Jode also uh, participated. So that's where I met Jode, which currently is my wife. 
So had I gone in the previous team in July, in the August 2015, I might not have the chance to meet today. And now our story would be completely different. God closed the door in August 2015 and I complained. But little did I know that God had a bigger plan for my wife. God had something wonderful he wanted to write on my life. Later, I actually heard that that team, August 2015, was actually not full. There had been some mistakes, some miscommunication there. But when I look back, now I understand God had something big for my life. But oh, I complained. And more than not, our life plans change all the time. I spoke already. Look how different this year was for all of us. It took us all out of our comfortable zones. We had to adapt. We had to react. Um, and uh, and it, maybe it, it even not just changed generally because of COVID, but in, in your life, in your uh, work, or in your studies, things might have changed dramatically. And so how do we react when things like this happen? How do we deal with, with something like this, with sudden changes? How do we trust? that God holds our future in his hands. And like I said, Christmas story is a story full of life-changing plans for the main characters. So let's dive in and let's learn from them. In the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke is one of the four biographies written of the story of Jesus. Even before Luke describes Mary, the mother of Jesus, one of the main characters in that story, he tells a very interesting story about Mary's cousin's husband, Zechariah. Gabby spoke last week about this guy, John the Baptist. So Zechariah was John the Baptist's father. And so he was married to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was the cousin of Mary. So even before we hear about Mary, we hear about Zechariah. He was a priest, he served in the temple, and one day he was there at the temple and he had a divine encounter with an angel. This is what happened, I'm gonna read on Luke chapter one, verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John, John the Baptist, that Gabby spoke last week. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. But Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure that this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. 
for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Right after this episode, then Luke writes about the same encounter that this angel Gabriel had with Mary. Let's read on verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. The, the Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favorite woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I am a virgin, the angel replied. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me Come true. Luke starts his gospel by presenting two very similar episodes, an encounter with the angel. One was Zechariah, a priest, a guy of high status, a guy with knowledge. He knew the scriptures. He, he, he worked with the other groups of priests. And he has an encounter with the angel, and the angel promised that even in his old age, him and his wife, the angel will, uh, the, the God will give them a son. Something miraculous was going to happen. And when the angel uh, describes the, the, the work that his son John the Baptist was going to do, the angel quotes prophecies that were written years, uh, hundreds of years ago in Isaiah. But he quotes this uh, when angel said he will turn the hearts of, the, uh, of their children to their father. The angel quotes the last two verses of the Old Testament, or the last book uh, they had access to. And John and, uh, and uh, Zechariah, he reacted uh, with skepticism. How can this happen? I'm an old man. And the angel had to tell him, why are you in doubt? I'm the angel Gabriel. I, I'm in the very presence of God and he sent me. How can you still ask me, how is this going to happen? And so the angel said, because you failed the test of faith, I will now shut your mouth and you will not be able to speak until your son is born. Right after, the same angel appears to Mary, a teenage girl, probably in her 14, 16 years old. And he also gives her a message of something, of a miracle that was about to happen, a son to her as well. And he also describes who the son was going to be, Jesus. He also quotes prophecies. And Mary, surprised, also asks, how is this happening? I, I'm a virgin. And, and the angel said, but you will be overcome by the Holy Spirit and you'll have this, this son. And how did Mary react? I am the Lord's servant. May everything you say come true. 
Both got super scared when they saw the angel. Both, um, both were, could not understand how this miracle was going to happen. But when the angel, the difference that we find in these two uh, reaction is that someone like Zechariah, a high status priest, failed the test of faith, while Mary, a teenage young girl, low status, surely with way less knowledge about the scripture and the prophecies that uh, compared to Zechariah, but she passed the test. Luke is trying to show us that God wants to work with people in low positions. People who aren't important. People who know that they have great need for God's grace and mercy. It is these people that he wants to highlight as the exalted ones. As people who are actually most important in God's economy. When our life's plans change, we are called to act in faith, because we don't know many times the reasons why things change. We don't know the chapter ahead. We don't know what's coming ahead, and things change dramatically. And we, uh, we honestly, we get scared, but we are called to act in faith. And faith does not depend on our social status. Faith does not depend on our economic wealth. Faith does not depend on our education background. Faith does not depend on our culture. Faith does not belong only to the pastors or to the worship leaders or to whoever is speaking here in front. God is looking for people who will put him first, no matter what. With a few but striking words, Mary presented herself to be fully used by God used before even knowing what was coming ahead without having all the answers and surely she, she had many questions. God is looking for people like Mary that when things change them dramatically, they say, I am your servant, Lord. Do as you pleased. I love how Luke starts his gospel and makes that comparison right away. Because now this story of Christmas is going to develop and we will, un and we will understand how Mary and her husband-to-be, Joseph, how did they react. Little did they know what was going to happen. But the first simple step of faith as being available was enough to be approved by God and used greatly. Let's continue our reading. Luke chapter 2. What happened next? At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, and she was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, 
She wrapped him snugly in stripes of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Okay, I don't know how um, well you are acquainted of the Christmas story and I cannot read it all, but let's stop and ponder on the challenges and the constant changes that happen on Mary and Joseph's story after God had told them this is what's going to happen. You are going to have a son. Okay? So Mary gets uh, pregnant miraculously. And now she was still engaged with Joseph. They were still not married. One of two things the people around them might have thought. Either they both had sexual relationship. That's why she's pregnant. Or Mary had sexual relationship with someone else. The fact that she was pregnant because she was overcome by the Holy Spirit, that justification might not have probably convinced the people around them. It would be very hard for them to convince. I mean, come on. That's, <laughs> you know? And so I, I, I am to believe that uh, there were, that was shocking news for the community and the, the, the couple could have been easily put to shame. They had troubles on explaining what was happening to Mary, this miracle that was happening to her. First question, God, could you have not made this miraculous baby-born Jesus in a slightly different way? Why do we have to face probably public shame or a community that is angry or, or skeptic on, uh, about our story? We don't know how advanced Mary was when they got the news that this census was going to be taken. So Joseph, because he was a descendant of the King David, and so the ancient town of David, then of, uh, of Joseph, was Bethlehem, he had to go to Bethlehem to register for the census. So now he and, uh, his, um, and, and Mary, um, his partner, they had to travel to, to Bethlehem. And I have, a, I have a map here, and Bethlehem is around roughly a hundred and something uh, kilometers south, and they could not take either a straight road because they would go through the, that region of Samaria, and the tensions between Jews and Samaria was something very complicated. They probably could also not take a road by the sea where the temperatures were a bit more average. They had to go around and go through a trail that was not um, an easy trail to do, um, especially when probably during the day temperatures are high and during the night the temperatures are low. Rocky mountains, um, there's not that many access to water. They are, um, their means of transportation is, is a donkey. They, they, they walk, but they have to do all the, the way down until they reach Bethlehem. God, <laughs> Mary is pregnant of Jesus. What's this timing now with the census? Why is this census happening now and we have to leave our town of Nazareth and go into Bethlehem? God, do you know what you're doing? They arrived in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was a new town for them. They didn't live in Bethlehem. Now, different from what we probably hear from the traditional um, uh, stories... They don't arrive in Bethlehem in the brink of Mary having a baby at, in the middle of the night. They didn't knock at people's doors and no one opened the doors for them. That's, that's 
that's tradition. The Bible actually tells them that when they arrived in Bethlehem, they, they stood there for a few days, if not weeks. But they arrived into a town that was new for them, and they were looking for a place to be. And people, uh, people were probably very hospitable to them, as many others were also arriving to the town of, of, uh, of Bethlehem from all over uh, the country. And they, probably, and they were looking for uh, a house where do, they could stay with. What the Bible tells us is that they didn't find uh, lodging or they didn't find a, a guest room. And um, what was usually um, a design of, of a house in those times, especially because Bethlehem was a small town of peasant people, um, people that could afford, so people usually have their family room where they would cook and they will sleep. People that at least could afford, they would have a guest room where they would welcome the, the guests. And that's what the Bible talks about, the lodging. So probably Mary and Joseph were, were trying to find houses with a guest room available. But probably because many other people had arrived in Bethlehem for the census, they were not finding a guest room for them to be the two of them and as comfortably as possible having their baby that was about to be born. But actually, if Jesus was put on a manger, what probably happened was that a family cared about them and they were guests and they shared the same family room. It just happens that the family's room usually also has an, an entrance for animals. And so some animals are uh, at night, they are kept inside, not just for protection, but also for, for, for warmth. But what is extraordinary is that a family hosted them but there was not that much space to have the baby, whatever was happening. So he was put on a manger where the animals could eat. And that's where the, she laid the baby. But in the middle of that um, act of hospitality by someone to Mary and Joseph, they could also ask, God, I'm about to have your son. And we don't have a comfortable place to be. You had a plan for our lives, and this is such a... This is not our house. This is not our home. This is so uncomfortable. Okay, we're trying to survive here. What's happening here, God? I'm not going to read the, the rest of the story, but we've heard of those wise men, people from the, the, the East, that saw signs on the stars. And usually, uh, 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 um, um, people that would, that time that would study astronomy and those things, sometimes they would see those signs as announcements that important people, or uh, kings especially, were born. So when they, so people from the east, we don't know who they are or exactly where they come from. But when they came to the area of, of of Israel, they first went to Jerusalem. They met King Herod by the time, and they told him, "We came because we saw a sign." And usually, that means a king is going to be born. And Herod was the king, and he got super scared. What does this happen? And they told him, yeah, we saw this sign, and we're probably going to Bethlehem. That's where we are convinced that king is being born. So Herod told them, okay, you go, you do your honors, you do what you have, but then come back and report back to me. But the wise men, they did not do that. An angel spoke to them, and when they returned, they didn't spoke with Herod. They just returned back home. And Herod got so angry, so furious, that he sent to kill all the babies that were two years or younger in that region of Bethlehem. And because of that, Mary and Joseph, in fear for their baby that was already born, they had to flee 
to Egypt. And I have another map, another travel. Now, if Nazareth to Bethlehem is roughly 100 uh, kilometers, I don't, it's way more the, the distance that they have to go to Egypt. Now, we don't know exactly where they were in, in Egypt. There were some, um, some Jewish communities. But the fact is that they, with a, a baby, probably a year, max two years old, now they have to travel to Egypt to a completely different country, different culture, different religion, probably finding some, some Jews, some communities, that have something completely different. And basically, they were refugees in Egypt. And we work with refugees daily. And our community hosts refugees. And we know how difficult it is for people that have to leave everything behind, leaving their homes behind, and run for, to a country afraid, that, afraid of their lives. And they stood in, 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 uh, in Egypt for roughly three to four years. And again, they might have asked, God, <laughs> we had your son, Jesus, and now we have to run away from a mad king? We have to live as refugees in Egypt for some years? God, do you know what you're doing? I thought your plans was for us to have the baby Jesus. That's what your angel told us. But what is all these... <laughs> What is all these challenges we, we, we have to go through? What kind of questions might have crossed Mary and Joseph's mind throughout this story? Have you thought about it? Why this, why, why this senses now? What, what kind of timing is this? Who is this Herod? God, can you not do something about Herod? Can you not kill him or something? And why do we have to, to run away? Why do we have to stay in Egypt for so long? Why are why 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 things why don't the things just happen in a more easy way and in a more spectacular way for actually everyone to see you? Did we fail somehow, God? Was it because of our sin? Did we do did we do something wrong, baby? The world's most glorious moment was starting. And the trials there were immense. Plans were being changed over and over. And many times in our lives, when Egypt comes, we also react. We also complain. And we also ask, what is this God? What, why are you allowing those, these circumstances? Why are you allowing these, uh, the, uh, these things to happen? Why, why, is, why are you making my life so much are you not aware of my troubles? Why are things taking so long? Why is, why is not COVID over yet? Or is it my sin? Is it something that I do wrong? Is it something that I, I'm not understanding and I'm doing wrong and you're punishing me? All these kind of things may cross our heads. But you know what? God never promised us that Christian life would be a walk on the beach. God never promised Mary that the fact that she was having Jesus, but God never promised her that the life, her life was going to be easy. God never promised that it was going to be um, um, without challenges. 
And we've been reading, uh, we've been looking at the story, we've been putting ourselves in Mary and Joseph's shoes, and we're kind of looking at the things in their perspective. In the human perspective, in the human uh, level, we don't see more than a few meters ahead. But God is above. God is beyond, and He knows the story. He knows the future. He knows what's coming ahead. And in the same way that now we read the Christmas story, so now we already know the whole picture, we might read this story and go over this challenge and not even care because we know what already happened. But in that moment, while the challenges were happening, it was difficult to have that perspective. So in the same way that now we read the story and we have the bigger perspective, when we say that we have to put God first and we have to trust Him, we have to trust in God means we trust that He also knows the whole story. And even though we face challenges and things are coming in our way, God knows what's coming after. And I like to think that during that time, God Himself was very present in the lives of Mary and Joseph even in the form of a newborn, non-speaking baby. God was there present somehow. And that was enough. That was enough for the story to go through. God can bring a blessing through a road of trial and difficulty. It is a remarkable thing to claim and to believe that it's actually in our greatest suffering, when God feels absent or silent, maybe those are moments or circumstances for His most personal presence in our stories. So many times when, when, plan, when, when plans change, or, and they, sometimes they don't change for good, question is, could it be that even through a season of darkness, that is how God is working out His salvation in your story. Could it be? If you look at the story of Mary and Joseph, now that we know the story, now we know things were happening. Could it be in our lives as well? So it matters not the challenges itself, but how do we react to those challenges? How do we react when our lives change? Throughout the story, certainly Mary and Joseph remember that first encounter they had with the angel. The promises that the angel gave to them of who this Jesus was going to be. That he was going to bring salvation from people, uh, from their sins. And they had to be reminded of these stories over and over as they were facing the challenge. That is this promise that we have to hold on. So one way that we should react to, um, to, to, to when things change in our life is remember the things that God has done in the past in your story. Remember things that God has spoken uh, uh, clearly to you. Or if you don't have any uh, clear word from God, remember the victories of the past. And be assured that God doesn't throw you to the lions and leave you there alone. But God is with you throughout whatever you're going through. 
remember the past. In the middle of all these challenges, they also went through refreshing moments of, of, of joy. When they were there in this family room without space, but then the shepherds came and the shepherds also testified that they saw millions of angels worshipping this uh, baby that was, that was born on that night and they got that, that story from the shepherds. Uh, Some time after they got th this wise man that also came from the east and also they gave them presents because they saw these miraculous signs happening. And as they had to flee to Egypt, it happened because the angel appeared to Joseph and told him, please pack your bags and go. So there was moments in the middle of this story where they, they were refreshing moments where they saw God was, was working with us. And I'm sure that you, um, I don't know if in this year of, of, of COVID or, or whatever you're going through more specifically, can you still count anything worth that God has been doing in your life in this season? Has God brought you anything worth, anything refreshing? Remember the past, remember the past victories or what has God spoke to you in the past? He doesn't change his word. Count the blessings even in the middle of life changing circumstances and remain faithful. Remain faithful. Nowhere in the story of Mary and Joseph we see them losing their mind or losing their temper or act in rebellion. They surely did not have all the answers, but they remain faithful. And many times that's what God asks from us. He, the one who knows everything, many times will not give us the answers of, of those things we don't know, he will just tell you, remain faithful, and that's enough. I am going to conclude now, and the, the, the music team can, can come. But as I was thinking of these things, I, I thought we can also ask honestly, well, maybe it was easier for Mary and for Joseph to remain faithful because they had such divine um, encounters with the angels telling them all the prophecies that were going to be fulfilled and what's coming on the future uh, ahead but I don't see my name written on the clouds I don't see what's coming ahead written on the clouds I don't know exactly what is coming after I don't have an experience of such divine revelation so what can I hold on to when you say, Pedro, God, uh, guys, hold on to the promises of God, of what God wants to do in your life, you can ask, but what is it? Because I've never had such an encounter. So I conclude not with uh, any more of my words. I will not try to say
separate us from the love 